we got into real estate investing more because we felt as though, or at least I felt as though it was something I really liked doing. Like once we got into our first couple of properties, I'm like, I actually like managing these properties. I actually enjoy talking to tenants, renovating properties. So in terms of us actually sitting back and saying, okay, enough is enough. I think we are a far ways away from that. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, episode 28, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. In the On Fire Podcast, we discuss financial independence, real estate investing, frugality, minimalism, and retiring early. Guys, ratings and reviews. This is the lifeblood, the currency of our podcast. So if you guys could jump over to iTunes or the Google Play Store and leave us a five-star rating and written review, it would be greatly appreciated. And hey, who knows, maybe more episodes will come out. Today's guests are Jeremy and Taylor. These two are good friends of mine, and they've scaled up faster than 90% of people do while maintaining a focus on quality for their tenants and properties. It's amazing catching up with this extremely young power couple. And really, my only regret about this episode is not having a time machine so I can go back and start as young as they did with their real estate investing journey. But enough chatting. Let's dive into the interview. Hey guys, so Jeremy and Taylor are our guests today. They're a power couple and they're focused on the Burr investing model, investing in cash flowing rental properties in Chatham, Ontario. They closed on property number one, their first investment property in June of 2019. They were 22 and 23 at the time and Taylor was still in school. And now not even a year and a half later, they're already at 32 units. These two stand out as some of the hungriest investors I've seen in the past few years. So welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Awesome. So it's great to have you guys on the show and we'll dive more into this later, but can you give us a brief summary of what's the last year looked like on your fire journey? Yeah. So, I mean, last June, kind of just after OREC, we really took the plunge into real estate investing. And since then, obviously acquired, we've acquired 12 properties and that equates to about 32 rental units. So what it's kind of looked like, I mean, in the last year is obviously We've really tried to scale up our real estate business and actively are investing in Chatham, Ontario and exclusively in Chatham, Ontario. And kind of the main focus that we do is buying large or sorry, small multifamily buildings that are essentially under rented and underutilized. And we kind of bring them up to their best and highest use. And we, you know, then we, then we do the whole refinance and kind of deploy that capital into more buildings. So awesome. So we're going to dive back into the roots. So, I mean, it's, your roots aren't that deep, but it's been a, you know, a year and a half or so. Can you guys like take us through your background a bit, where you came to discover the idea of financial independence, real estate investing, and kind of what kind of lit the spark for you guys? Yeah, I'll jump back in here. So really what got me interested in real estate investing and what ended up getting Taylor and myself into real estate investing was back in, I guess it would be 2016, I moved out West for a couple months and the guy I was living with was heavily invested into real estate. He was 21 years old. He was worth well over a million dollars and I couldn't help but um, continually ask him questions on how we got there. And really, it always came back to real estate investing. So he would, you know, we'd constantly have conversations about how to find cash flowing properties, how to utilize some of your cash and actually make it work for you. So that was the beginning roots for us. And then really, what was the light bulb moment for both Taylor and myself is, you know, we bought our primary residence in London back in 2017. And within a year and a half, we had basically doubled the value of the property. 
So it was a huge light bulb moment of, okay, so do we want to work, you know, 3000 hours each a year and make $150,000? Or do we want to go the route of real estate investing, buy a property that's undervalued, renovate it and make the same amount of money? So yeah, that was, that was really the light bulb moment for us. Awesome. Appreciate that context. And so what are some of the early resources you guys leaned upon to, you know, give you the confidence to move forward with these plans? I think podcasts were probably our biggest one. That's kind of, we listen to podcasts regularly. Bigger Pockets was probably our main one. And then on to Andrew Hines and kind of explored from there. And then YouTube videos, but podcasts probably the most just on our commute, commute everywhere. And then got into some books and some other things, but Definitely podcast is probably the biggest one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, podcasts were like, for me, when I first started out in 2016, I was like, start, I found bigger pockets. I started listening through from episode one and I was just, it blew my mind what people were doing. Mm -hmm. And more and more, I started relating to some of the guests and I was like, you know what? This isn't that crazy, especially some of the earlier bigger pockets episodes, a lot more relatable, you know, people who had, you know, a few properties nowadays, a lot of the guests have like hundreds and hundreds (laughs) of properties. Oh, good for you. I have no idea. Interesting for sure. And what, what really helped us too was like, you know, there was, there'd be people that had five properties and they were in similar situations to us. So it, it didn't seem out of reach and it felt obtainable. So that was also nice as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you, uh, like, what were some of the early resources that you turned toward to learn more about real estate investing? So you had, you know, like you said, Andrew Hines podcast, which is awesome, uh, bigger pocket stuff. Like what were some of the other things that you did in order to learn more about investing in real estate in the early days? For sure. Yeah. I mean, for myself, I am a big believer in, I, I like to just talk to myself <laughs> and kind of figure things out um, in my head. So for me, it was, you know, I, I can, I understood the concept pretty early on, you know, obviously you're, cause really the whole concept of anybody who's getting into real estate is what we want is we want to buy undervalued properties. And the, the, the end goal of that is to be able to regain all of your capital. So beyond that, I'm, I always like to tell people there's sometimes there's too much research you can do. So, you know, you can, and I've, I'm, I'm kind of coaching a couple guys through this right now is, and they're huge proponents of, I want to read every book out there. I want to listen to every podcast out there. And I'm telling them, guys, you, you understand the fundamentals. And that is buy a property, renovate it, refinance it, rent it out at its highest and best use and continue the process. So to say that there was any more resources beyond bigger pockets, Andrew Hines podcast, and you know, the book here and there, we'd likely be lying because for us, I mean, we just, we just, we wanted to dive into it right away. Yeah. I think we took the plunge, but some resources that just came to mind would be like Facebook groups. We're still in a lot of Facebook groups, people providing like personal experiences and resources that way. And then after OREC, we kind of got connected to you guys and a big group of people that have been a really good resource. Very true. Yeah. I guess being around like-minded individuals would be something that um, I didn't say for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it, that's huge. And I, I know we'd spoken in the past about, you know, you guys loved whiteboarding. So I imagine that kind of helps you to, you know, like like flesh out your goals and kind of figure that stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. No, the whiteboard is not not so much in the last couple months, but definitely early on, it really helped us, you know, brainstorm because let's face it, every investor runs out of money. And I think for anybody that becomes their their first big issue is how do I raise more money or how do I make this deal that makes so much sense to me, but I can't 
physically close on it. How do I figure it out? So the whiteboard was nice for us. Like, let's brainstorm different nice ideas. Terrible, and yeah, why didn't you use the whiteboard yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. So I know you guys touched upon it in your initial discussion, but what is it about Chatham, Ontario in particular that really draws you to want to invest in that market? So Chatham at first, I didn't, I didn't understand why I wanted to invest in there. You know what? It was, it was really an impulse. I had met Mike and Michelle at a real estate event. They own a ton of properties down in Chatham. And I thought, okay, the barrier to entry is so low. There's inherently really no risk because properties are so cheap and they're easy to get rid of. So I went down there, you know, we just bought a couple duplexes and, but from then on, you know, we've had more of an understanding of why we like Chatham. And our whole business model is we're creating beautifully renovated units that attract great tenants. So oftentimes the small town touch is, well, you're just going to get low end uh, clientele. And that's far from what we're getting. We're getting top end clientele for our rentals in terms of who's renting. And the reason I like Chatham kind of just goes back to why I originally started investing there was low barrier to entry. I'm able to get these super high rents in terms of what the market's getting and you know my, my inherent risk because we're often able to regain all of our capital on the property with properties that we're buying on market. So mm-hmm. totally agree. It's just more bang for your buck and we were able to scale with more properties based on what it takes to get into a property. For sure. And you know what, like that barrier to entry thing, it ends up being actually a really, it ends up defining where the good places to invest are because mm-hmm. you guys aren't the only ones thinking that way. People are like, where is the lowest barrier to entry? Where can I start? And if you guys are in a place that's somewhere where you can start, then other people are going to want that too. It's going to start driving prices up. Yeah. I know like for myself, the first, when I was trying to decide where can I invest, I mean, I wanted to buy a duplex and I wanted to be able to ride my bike to work or walk to work. <laughs> so I was like, hey, look, I'm looking within this area of downtown. And that was my criteria. Well, it turns out a lot of people think that too. They also want to be close to work and they don't want to live, you know, they like living near downtown. So mm-hmm. it turned out to be a really great place to invest. So it makes sense to kind of think, you know, there's a reason why you guys wanted to invest there. And it also, it, it helps to, you know, improve the values of those properties in the area, just because everyone wants this, a lot of people want the same thing. So what kind of ended up lighting the fire under your asses to jump in so quickly? Because, you know, this has not been very long and you guys dove in head first. So like, what was really the thing that made you go like, we need to, you know, like, what got you into this so quickly? I think so Jeremy was very passionate before. And then the same time we did a refinance on our, our personal house was the same time we went to OREC. And at that point, I was not like fully bought in before OREC. And then after OREC, I was I was like fully in. So then we were able to just go. And Scotia is great. So we were able to get a few mortgages in our name and just kept refining from there. Yeah, like and for myself, what what lit the fire under me was I I was at a point with my day job where I I felt as though I was providing so much value and the value given back to me was far less. So I was really passionate about building some sort of business. I always felt like I was entrepreneur based and I wanted to build a business that didn't heavily rely on customers, but it, it, so it's, it's much different, right? When you're a customer based business, if you're like a plumbing company, electrical company, you have people, you have customers to deal with. Whereas I felt like with the tenants, I had this opportunity to, you know, take it or leave it more or less. And I really wanted to escape my day job. I was, I was fed up 
I felt like I had so much more to give in terms of, you know, building a business, creating a better life for our family, generational wealth. And I was just, I was super passionate about figuring out how to get there as soon as possible. And I think it was 10 or less than 10 months later after starting real estate investing, I was able to fully leave my day job and, you know, solely focus on building our business, which has been tremendous for us. Yeah, let's build upon that a little bit. So when you bought that first rental property, what was the goal then? And do you mind sharing, like, it seems like I'm going to suspect your goals rapidly evolved as your portfolio did. You know, what gave you that kind of permission, I guess? A lot of people would never even dream of growing as rapidly as you did. Was there any struggles there? There was definitely a lot of struggles. You know, we talked about this in the podcast with Andrew Hines. After we bought the first two duplexes, we had purchased a single family house that we had anticipated on doing a burr. And we actually, I don't, I can't really recall how this played out, but from what I'm thinking, we just, we just figured out we didn't have money to buy it. So after, I guess, yeah, after the third property, the money was out and the banks were saying no. So what we did is we, we just, we just asked questions. This is something we learned at OREC. If, if the mortgage broker saying no, ask them questions. Why? Why can't, why can't I buy this? What do I need to show you in order for you to say yes? And it's, it's exactly what we did. So we were able to just kind of prolong showing them bank history, which, was, which enabled us to close on the property. Some of the other struggles that we faced, obviously, with growing quickly is not having enough manpower. So what we did is we ended up just hiring somebody to help us with showings, help us with tenant management, uh, things like that. I was just going to go back to the goals. Like I know before we had bought our first property, I had mapped out like what would be possible goals for us based on like a bigger pockets video. So it was just like buy one the first year, two the next year, four the next year, eight the next year. So yeah. just grow exponentially. And then you realize, oh, wait, this is a lot easier than it, it seems to be. So you can, we could still grow exponentially, but starting right. after this year. If you, yeah, if you simplify the process, which is what we talked about earlier, you know, if you, If you're struggling to buy a property, you need to ask yourself, so is it because I can't find a property? Okay, well, then if that's the answer, then obviously you need to you need to figure that out. Maybe you're not working with the right realtor. Maybe you're not talking to enough wholesalers. If money is the issue, you need to figure out, okay, A, can I refinance a property? B, can I borrow money from maybe family? You know, you just got to think outside the box and think about how to systematically take down property after property. I remember that mindset shift came to me, luckily, quite a while ago, probably sometime just after university or something like that. I realized like so many in life, you're just that you're, you're stuck in situations, but you're, you feel stuck in situations, but it's really like, okay, what is the issue I have here? And what do I need to do to get past it? And like, once you start thinking that way, I mean, and you keep thinking that way and you keep setting new goals for yourself, like you're just going to keep growing and growing and growing. And uh, I think like, constantly shifting that finish line or like that goal post, like it's super important. And like, clearly, you know, you guys, when you first started, you're, there's no way your goal was to buy as much as you did mm-hmm. as quickly as you did. And I think a lot of people like, you know, in the book, ego is the enemy. They're talking about this and like, you know, people who reach this amazing set of success, you know, they glorify it in this way. Like I've always wanted to grow this. I always wanted to be a billionaire or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But like realistically, mm-hmm. early on, we were taking it step by step. And then you just continually move the goalposts and you end up growing like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So 
What do you guys, so you mentioned briefly there that you had, um, you hired somebody to help out with property management. And I know we've spoken a bit about this, you know, it hasn't been perfect, but of course it's been kind of a new, a new thing you guys are trying out. What, what have you kind of learned in that process so far? I learned like outsourcing has been super helpful, even if it's not perfect, just like having a task off your list has been very helpful. And then also finding somebody that kind of like meshes with your group. So I, I had interviewed different property managers and I felt like the person that we chose kind of worked well, like as, as a whole versus just some other people that maybe were qualified, but not may not have have blended as well with us. And then, and just as you go, like we try something out and then we don't like it, or we think we could do it a better way. You just make small changes and, and communicate with the team. So people don't feel like they're doing something wrong. It's just like, there's a better system that needs to happen. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to a quote that I heard this week. It was like an imperfect action creates more like steam in the engine for you for you than no action at all. So maybe you're, and this is, I, I went out for lunch today with an, with a like serial entrepreneur and he was talking about the same thing. It's like, I want to hire all these people in these different roles, but it's, it's hard because I want everything to be perfect. And he even talked about it too. It's okay. Maybe, you know, maybe for the first bit, things are going to be bumpy, but can my business afford to not hire this person? And oftentimes the answer is no, maybe in the moment, you know, maybe the business isn't ready, but where is it headed? You know, does it need this person in place anyways down the road? So are you, are you going to continue to bandaid the situation and, you know, say, I'm just going to work 20 hours a day to make things happen. Or are you going to strategically work 12 hours a day, hire a few people and actually grow the business properly. So. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Appreciate that. So. Right now, across Canada, most real estate markets are extremely hot, Chatham really being no exception. Where are you guys finding these properties? So I guess majority of the properties are coming on MLS. We oftentimes can get into properties that a lot of buyers may or may not want to buy based on its current situation. So we've kind of have that going for us. I'm also actively talking to neighbors when I'm at properties. I'm even our tenants, I'm letting my tenants know, hey guys, look, you find me a property, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to pay you for it. That's another strategy we're doing. I'm Anytime that I see a listing on Facebook that somebody's renting unit, I'm always engaging with them saying, hey, look, I'm not interested in the unit, but I'm interested in your property. You know, is this, if I see a, if I see a one bedroom unit that's rented for $700, but I know I'm getting $950, I know there's something wrong with that property because I have the smallest one bedroom that I think is possible in Chatham that's rented for 950, but this guy's this guy's renting it for 750. So there's there's an issue there and I'm I'm looking to solve that issue. So to answer that question, we're doing everything we can. We're talking nice. we're talking to realtors, we're talking to neighbors, we're talking we're 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 on MLS, we're flyering, we're doing everything possible to generate leads. And obviously Sometimes we go through spurts where we think there's nothing, there's, there's no way another deal is going to come our way. And then sometimes we're bombarded with deals where we think, how are we going to close on all this stuff? So it's really just, you know, just continually putting in the work and reaping the rewards, I guess, would be. Yeah. I mean, and it helps a lot to be sharing this stuff on social media, right? Be like, mm-hmm. you guys have quickly established yourselves as, you know, the people who are investing in Chatham. And there's not a lot of people doing that. I mean, the fact that some, a lot of the deals you're getting are on, on, on the MLS is, uh, is uh, a sure sign that, like, you know, 
the word isn't completely out there yet, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, you know, it's nice that when people think of Chatham, they think of you. And, you know, putting yourself out on social media is, uh, is really helpful for that. For sure. Yeah. And that's, and that's even something we do with our tenants. And it's, it's a completely different strategy that I think really anybody's doing. And, you know, the last two tenants that I just got, the reason they wanted to rent from us at a premium was because they went on my Instagram, they went on our Facebook page, and they saw the podcast we do. And they said, I want to rent from you. Or it was a referral from another tenant. And it was a referral or it was a referral from another tenant. And these are... Like advocating for us. They're just... It's a different way of approaching things. We we oftentimes... We just try and pride ourselves in creating, you know, sustainable units that are both uh, mixed in with like quality and proper property management. And it's interesting how much tenants actually value that. And I think it's something that a lot of investors don't see as... Yeah, they, they neglect it because, you know, we're so excited. We bought this property. We can't wait to renovate it. And we can't wait to tell everybody how much money we're making. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Taylor and myself, we're thinking, I can't wait to buy this property, show everybody what we've done to it and get quality tenants in there that are happy with the property. We I would say we actually have tenants. We had a tenant yesterday comment on our Facebook post saying, great job, guys. <laughs> it's just, it's a different way of doing things. And at the beginning, I was skeptical about it. I wasn't really sure how I was going to react. I'm sure long term, we're going to have some sort of negative something come back at us. But it's it's with anything, you know, you're going to have your ups and downs. But for us, it's been a huge bonus showing everybody what we're doing, tenants included. And it's it's tremendous how much so. That's awesome. So like you guys, you guys have a clear focus on, you know, the experience for your tenants. And so like, what are some examples of how you're managing your tenants and your renovations to make sure that that quality is there? Because especially in a place like Chatham, you know, a lot of the rental units there are, you know, not in great shape. Mm -hmm. So like it really stands out to be doing what you guys are doing. So what are some examples of things you guys are doing to attract quality tenants? So one thing that I've recently started doing is when people apply to the ad, I say, call me. I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to get to know you before you even come to the unit. And actually talking to a tenant versus messaging them is it's night and day. I, I can't express it enough how important it is to actually let the tenant know you're, you're a real person. I'm, I'm, I'm always in Chatham. I'm, always willing or I'm all we're, our team is always ready to fix plumbing issues, HVAC issues, whatever it may be that day. There's none of this. You need to be home for eight hours a day on a Thursday next week for handyman Joe to come by and maybe fix it. It's we have quality people on our team who tenants can appreciate the and I this just happened. I just showed a unit to another tenant who's renting one of our other units and when I was there showing the unit to this prospective tenant, my other tenant was like expressing how much, how happy he was to actually rent a place from us. And the tenant, the prospective tenant was like, where do I send the money to? <laughs> like, how, how do I secure this building? Because I want to rent here. So awesome. And so Jeremy, you're now doing this full time, right? How did you know when it was time to leave the day job behind? (laughs) So super interesting story, I guess. I had actually got laid off from work. And during the layoff or prior to the layoff, I knew we were going, I knew I was going to get laid off because of what, what was happening with COVID. And a lot of the stuff we were doing was in people's homes. I saw it coming. So what we did is we, we like quickly we had a bunch of closing or we had a, we had a closing happening. We pushed it forward so that I can close in it when I had a job. 
And then I got laid off. The other properties were with JVs and also a joint venture or a VTB and a couple of joint ventures. So I knew I really didn't need the day job to close on the property. But then it came a point, I believe it was in June, June maybe, when my when my employer had said, hey, look, it's time for you to come back. And it was something I never really thought of. So on the phone, I was like, hey, I look, this isn't going to work out. I, I can't come back. And then I had basically come home that night. I had, this is even before even talking to Taylor. And I just said, hey, look, what do you think about me just not going back to work? <laughs> so, and it was, it was an interest, you know, going from making whatever, like a weekly paycheck to not getting anything. It's a difficult decision to make, but kind of the, the backstory of that was we, we understood how much we actually grew our real estate business when I was focusing on it full time. And we just took the plunge. When we knew that we could afford, we knew to that we could afford income and, and continue. And I don't think we would have been in that position if we weren't living in the house we're living now. So we had sold our first house and moved out to Mount Bridges, which has a little house behind it, which we house hack. So if we weren't in the position of house hacking, we probably wouldn't have been might in have been a position, different situation. Yeah, that you could have been stayed off for sure. Yeah, like house hacking is such a such a recurring theme with our guests. Everyone wants like your largest expense is your housing, right? So if you can if you can live for free, now you might be saving like a thousand dollars plus a month mm-hmm. just by living in a duplex or in your guys' case, living in a house where you got a little house out back you rent out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an amazing way. It's like one of the best ways to 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 get started or at any stage in your journey to kind of reduce your monthly expenses. Yeah. So Taylor, you were in school while doing all of this. So what was that experience like trying to, you know, do all this stuff while also juggling your school? It was fun. <laughs> I don't know. It was manageable, I guess. A lot. I guess I have a high stress tolerance, I would say. A lot of people in school don't even work at all. So I was working and then also doing real estate. So I felt like more like socially, it was more difficult because you don't have as much of a social life while you're doing all those things. And people don't can't relate with you. So university students are, are like, just broke. <laughs> they don't work. They don't have that. And then they're paying all the student debt. So they have a totally different mindset and, and can't really wrap their head around real estate investing. So it's like tricky, like socially, I guess, to have friends in university like that, but really fun and exciting and a good thing to do while you're in class. <laughs> Look at yeah. properties on MLS. Well, it motivated you too, right? Like it was a challenge. So you often like it was... It's it, it's been a challenge, obviously, getting through everything. So and, yeah. and I think that's something you enjoy as well. Yeah, I think I like staying busy, so it works out well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, having that high stress tolerance is a really valuable asset in the, the real estate investing world, especially mm-hmm. with property management and dealing with contractors and tenants. If you don't have a decent stress tolerance, or at least know how to, you know, take some time away, take a breath, meditate, whatever you got to do to <laughs> chill out. Uh, it's super important in this, you know, and like, you know, especially like Taylor, you know, you do some of that, like you deal with challenging people at your day job as well, right? Yeah. So I can imagine juggling all of that is difficult. So like with the day job, do you have like now that you're working, do you have plans at some point to quit the job? Or do you plan on kind of balancing that with the real estate investing? Yeah, eventually, Jimmy's just nodding. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> eventually, yeah, I don't plan yeah. on staying in my day job forever. But I would like to incorporate my education kind of into like, future real estate investing. So we had just the thoughts of uh, maybe having a group home one day and and like using the social work and social services and all that while owning the building and running your own. So not, I don't know, just creating a new job for myself, I guess. (laughs) Gotcha. 
And so right now you guys are either living everyone's dream or nightmare, you know, being in a romantic relationship, mm-hmm. working together on the business. What's that been like? What are maybe some of the benefits and some of the struggles that people might not think of at first when they're thinking about going into essentially business with their partner? There's no shortage of struggles and there's no shortage of pros for sure. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I guess that I never really thought of, because for us, I guess early on in our life when we didn't have real estate or rental properties, money wasn't ever a huge issue. You know, it was, we made good money, more than enough to support our, our lifestyle. Getting into real estate we oftentimes want to squeeze out as much as possible whenever possible to make some sort of deal work that may or may not be worth it. So Mm -hmm. I guess for us, obviously going very quickly, we were hesitant at first to raise private money. We always wanted to just do it on our own. So early on, obviously there was some sort of, there was money issues for sure. Refinances were coming up, properties were closing. Oh shoot. Do we have enough time to do this? That definitely causes conflict. On the other hand, too, there's always tenant issues. Regardless of how well you manage a property, there's always something going on, no matter what. You oftentimes bring that home with you, which can, you know, there's always a difference of opinion. Maybe I want to deal with something differently than Taylor does. We may or may not argue about that certain task or whatever. But on the pro side, Taylor and myself, we're both really good at not getting... We don't really get stressed out. That's not true. <laughs> in, in terms of like general life, there's not a whole lot that can kind of get us going. Obviously, with real estate, when money's involved, for sure, there's going to be some sort of stress. But Taylor and I, like we, we get along pretty good. We, we share similar goals. So that's obviously like a plus on our end. I'm going to say for money, the money-wise, it's more like... We want to spend money differently. Like, yeah. I'm like, we need to paint the siding. It looks like shit. And Jeremy's <laughs> like, no, that's not worth it. Or, yeah. <laughs> or it's like, yeah, well, it's a lot. We're like, I'm like, this should look nicer than it does right now. Yeah. But I'm not the one doing the renovation. Or it's communication <laughs> where it's like, we talk to each other. Like we're comfortable with each other saying it how it is and maybe saying it a little more blunt and less nice than you yeah. could say it with a business partner that you're not as comfortable with. So that would be just main communication and, and not necessarily agreeing on every renovation or, or how we want to deploy the money. Like Jeremy's like, let's buy this flip. And I'm like, let's not. <laughs> yeah. I guess to add to that was, so <laughs> when we first started real estate, we bought everything personally. We, me and Taylor, we owned it all. So we really love having proper properties that are renovated as they should be. When you get into joint ventures, a lot of it comes down to ROI. So you're oftentimes having to skimp out on things that maybe you wouldn't have early on in your real estate investing. So I think that caused a little bit of conflict, which is... But not between you and I. That's no, a different conflict. No, but it, it's difference of opinion for sure. So, mm-hmm. so on that note, because joint venture partnerships are something I, I really like to discuss. I think in the typical understanding that a lot of people have these days is, you know, you buy five properties, maybe you get up to closer to 10, but at some point, you know, you run out of money, you got to do joint joint venture partnerships or banks don't want to lend to you anymore. And I'm trying to smash that myth because Mm -hmm. there's definitely lenders that'll still continue lending to you. But, you know, you guys have done both. You've done joint venture partnerships, you've done properties yourself. You know, what are some of the pros and cons of bringing on partners? So 
When you bring on a joint venture partner, and this was my understanding prior to getting into joint ventures, was I, I thought it limit it limited your risk or your exposure to you know running out of money because obviously for us joint venture partners bringing in all the money they're qualifying. So realistically, at the end of the day, if everything went south, you know, arguably we technically have nothing to lose aside from the property. No, our time, yeah. Essentially, is how it would be. But then when you get into these properties, and this is something I've talked about on lives and stuff, no matter how good your joint venture is, with what you agree on and what happens six months down the road, it's going to change. It is going to change. So all of our joint ventures have specifically come to us and said, I want to invest with you guys. And the reason they want to invest with us is because they like what we are doing. Now, when you get into these properties and money signs start coming out, (laughs) that changes. It is unbelievable how it changes. So some of the cons to joint venturing is, you know, we've we have our strategy, which is creating uh, sustainable units, joint venture partners, typically, yeah. yeah, Joint venture partners typically have, well, we don't need to do that. So we're not going to do that. And it's certainly it can cause frustration. And, but yeah, again, on the plus side, I believe as though it's, in my opinion, I think it's a lot easier to scale if you're talking about units and properties, although it would be hard to argue that it's valuable in terms of creating wealth for yourself. Because if you buy, you know, for every joint venture you for every two joint ventures you do, that's one property you have to do. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to what do you what do you want? Do you want to create some sort of property management company out of these joint ventures where you can actually have staff, or do you want to create generational wealth and actually own the asset on your own, operate it as if it was your own, and not have somebody at the beck and call? Because you know, with a property you've got tenants, and then you bring a joint venture, and that's a joint venture is another tenant. Mm-hmm. No, no. No matter how good they are, all our three joint venture partners that we have, they're arguably the best joint ventures you could get. And they all come with their own issues. And it's not it's not that they're bad people. It's everybody has a different mindset or a different way that they want to do things. So and so, you know, if there's people listening and they're going, okay, like I want to do joint venture partnerships because you know, for whatever reason, they don't have the income from their job, they don't have the capital, or they just, you know, they have friends they want to work with, you know, hey, why don't you and me, Joe, why don't we partner on a property? Like, what do you think is a good way to approach it? If you're like, I do want to do joint venture partnerships, how do you think people should go about doing so? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do a joint venture partnership, something we've done, we try and just lay out as much as possible. Like I said, a lot of people just come to us because they like what we're doing. But I guess if you're if you haven't done anything, it would probably be in your best interest to lay out how you envision things going and maybe don't even tell them and say, I want you to tell me how you envision things going. You know, if, if you're way off, it's sexy to buy properties, but it's also not sexy to have a property that you own with somebody who doesn't want to operate it the same as you. It's, you're just creating a headache for yourself. So definitely if you're getting into a joint venture, I would probably, you know, lay out as much information as you're thinking and how you want to operate the the asset and probably come up with some scenarios you know hey look if this happens what would you do because this is what i would do and i was just thinking also from i guess personal experience even maybe being even more strict with these are the ways that i want to renovate properties this is what i would like to do if you'd like to join me 
then you're going to do what I would like to do. If you don't want to, then you can buy your property on your own and not so much give and take. It's like we are the experts and, and we can do this one way or the other, but we're like, these are the ways that we want to do it. Right. Yeah, for sure. And like, I know, you know, Matt has done a ton of joint venture partnerships in the beginning. And I know at some point I think you'd mentioned like a lot of them were just handshakes, right? So like, mm-hmm. it's pretty important to have it documented, you know, run your joint venture partnership document through a lawyer and make sure the thing, everyone's on the same page about things. I think that's super important. And like, you know, now that we have this education available, I think it's important for people to understand, you know, this isn't just a, Hey, you know, me and my buddy want to buy a property. You got, you know, there's some, there's some due diligence that needs to be done here. And you, you know, ideally you have uh, lawyers involved <laughs> for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Managing expectations is uh, certainly important. Keeping clear lines of communication, as well as ideally having some sort of solution mechanism in place in regards to the joint ventureship. I think, Combining those three aspects can really allow you to set yourself up for success when it comes to joint ventures. So we've spent a fair bit of time talking about real estate investing today. You know, I'm curious, is real estate the entire, you know, fire plan for you guys? Is it stage one of the fire plan? What does the future look like? Well, like the, probably the majority of it is real estate investing. And then obviously we'll use some private lending and get other people involved in real estate investing that way. But then, like I said, also using like the group home, I would like to involve a couple different strategies, but currently real estate investing is our, our main one. Yeah. We got into real estate investing more because we felt as though, or at least I felt as though it was something I really liked doing. Like once we got into our first couple of properties, I'm like, I actually like managing these properties. I actually enjoy talking to tenants, renovating properties. So in terms of us, actually sitting back and saying, okay, enough is enough. I think we are a far ways away from that. I have some pretty big ideas that I want to bring in. Like I ultimately, I would like to start developing with, it's something that I've always been curious about. And with that comes obviously, you know, going to need a lot of capital. So to, to come up with that capital, however, we're going to do it. But I, as Kind of same thing. I just want to, I like doing things on my own. I like figuring things out. So in terms of fire, where we actually sit back and say, all right, we're not, we're done buying, we're done investing. It's a far, far ways away for sure. Awesome. So we're going to jump into the fire four. So we ask all of our guests the exact same four questions. So the first one is, what are you grateful for? Taylor. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Is that your answer? You can go. Okay. I think I would be saying I'm grateful to be involved in the community. Because we didn't, like, whilst our life has very much changed with, like, who our friends are and the things that we do and who we spend time with based on real estate. And, like, I'm grateful that we've been able to go into that community and kind of change our life that way. Yeah. For myself... I, (laughs) for me, I think that I'm grateful, you know, just if we're talking about real estate and fire, I'm really grateful for finding real estate because not only has it helped us, you know, evolve our life, but it's also given me the opportunity to meet people who I otherwise wouldn't be friends with, or maybe wouldn't ever connect with. And it's interesting when you get in a room with people who think the same as you, how much you're instantly connected with them. Like, like I said, today I went out with an entrepreneur. We just first time ever meeting him in person, we just talked for like hours. And if you know, if you're ever to go out and just meet a random person, 
the likelihood of that's pretty slim. But with real estate investors or anybody that really wants to get ahead in life, we're kind of all on the same path. And it's I'm yeah, I'm really grateful for for definitely what real estate has brought us. That's awesome. Question number two is what is a guilty pleasure or a tool that you can't live without that maybe one wouldn't think necessarily is fire? Mm-hmm. I don't know if like food counts, but <laughs> Oh definitely. <laughs> I uh, I'm definitely guilty of eating out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey you're valuing your time yeah <laughs> i don't know probably chocolate yeah. <laughs> we definitely actually we recently just started ordering from a, a food subscription that gets delivered to our house so that's been fun probably a guilty pleasure definitely more expensive than just buying our own groceries but very enjoyable for sure yeah that's awesome. I think it's, and that's another recurring theme I'm seeing with a lot of investors is as they start to understand the value of their time, they outsource things as simple as their food yeah. or the cleaning of their house yeah. or their transportation. And just getting that time back ends up being like a really valuable thing. Mm-hmm. The, the cleaning, we just started that after talking to you, we started a couple months ago. And yesterday the cleaner came and like coming home after, you're just like, wow. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great feeling. So is there any frugality tips or life hacks or anything that you guys do to save money in uh, that you'd like to share with the listeners? My favorite is Ebates, which is now Rakuten, or I don't know how to pronounce it, but you Google Ebates, it has all of, like you can order, well, it used to be Amazon. I think Amazon's now 0%, but even HelloFresh, we actually just tried that one and we got like 22 bucks back from HelloFresh. They have lots of cash back refunds. They send you a check where you can order on Amazon after with the, the money you get back. Yeah. For, for me, I don't know if I really have like a frugality tip. Although when I first got into real estate investing, I continue or constantly wrote down, you know, what I made per week, what my expenses were, how much can I save? Okay, how can I elevate this number a little bit more? So I was constantly running through my finances and figuring out how I can save. Although at this point, I'm really trying to just live more or less the way I'm like comfortable with and not really, I, I'm just trying to, continue the understanding that like we've, this is our only life to live. So may as well just kind of do as we please, as long as it fits within like our uh, parameters, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Question number four is what would the hero of your own movie do right now in your life? Have you guys heard that question before? We weren't prepared for, I should have listened to these four questions. No, I don't want people prepared for this. I love this question. So I often have to break it down. So if, if you guys are watching a movie, you guys are the main characters in it right now, and you're kind of rooting for them to do something, what do you think that is? Like, what is it something you'd really want to see your, yourselves do? Go on vacation. Let's get a van. Let's go through Canada. Yeah. Do something. <laughs> yeah. Just go travel right now. I, like, obviously, we had big plans to travel in Thailand, but that's not going to happen. And now we're kind of just like, oh, let's just rent an Airbnb every couple months. But I think we should just go do something, maybe more than just renting an Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like we've always talked about and we're, we're aware like once we have like, you know, kids or whatever, we're not really going to be able to travel for a couple months at a time. So it was something that Taylor and myself had planned was let's just travel for a couple months but then obviously, like in the backside, you're thinking like, oh, I, I don't know if I want to take away like six months of like developing the business or whatever. But and then we're also aware like we really 
there's only one short-term opportunity for this. And that would be obviously prior to like moving forward and starting a family. Starting a family. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you guys being on the show. And before we wrap up here, we always like to get our guests to ask the audience a question. So do you have a question that you'd like to share with the audience? Yes. <laughs> and the question would be, what you're doing today, is it what you want to be doing in the future? And the reason I say that is I was always, I always, when I was working my full-time day job, I wanted to do something more, but I was always thinking to myself, okay, this day job's holding me back. And it wasn't until I finally just pushed back and I said, okay, none, no more of this. I need to start actually living some sort of purposeful life. So definitely if you're not doing what you want to be doing, you need to figure it out essentially. Mm-hmm. Mine would be if what's stressing you out right now is going to stress you out in a year that it might be important. So ask yourself like, is this issue going to be relevant or important to me in a year's time or not? Cause if not, then there's no point stressing about it now. Mm-hmm. Love that. So where can people find, follow, or get in touch with you guys? Yeah, for sure. So we can always be reached by email, tjrealestate at hotmail.com. Definitely on Instagram, Taylor Sears, or sorry, (laughs) Taylor Jean, or uh, for myself, Jeremy Ivany. And then also on Facebook, you can find our business page, TJ Real Estate. We are always posting our renovations before and afters and, you know, just kind of everything that we're doing day to day in our real estate business. Awesome. Thanks again, guys, for joining us. Thanks, no, thank us. you. Thanks, guys. Man, it's amazing catching up with them and seeing what they've accomplished in such a short period of time at such a young age. I can't wait to see where this hockey stick ends. I still remember meeting Jeremy and Taylor and then posting about OREC 2019 back when they first met everybody. They were really inspired by our journeys, and now they're inspiring other people themselves. This is the kind of stuff I live for. Absolutely. And while you're waiting for the next episode, jump over to Facebook and join the London on Fire community and follow us on Instagram at On Fire Podcast. And make sure to tune in to the next On Fire Podcast to meet more people, hear their stories, and learn from their mistakes. And in the meantime, make sure you guys jump over, leave us a five-star rating and written review. I don't care what platform it's on. Please just go do it. And thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen, signing off. And until next episode, remember, being normal, buying stuff doesn't make you happy. And always remember what Unknown said. Be a boss, date a boss, build an empire.